So we've been looking at Old Testament characters and events. We did Adam and Eve, we did Noah. Tonight, we're going to look at Abram. Abram. Now, the, the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, and Sarai, who becomes Sarah, goes from chapters 12 to 25 of the book of Genesis. So, buckle up. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that much. Um, there's no way to do justice to the whole Abram, Abraham story in one sermon. And so we're going to start with the call, and then we're going to look at one particular episode that describes a lot about the relationship between God and Abraham and between God and God's people. And so we're going to begin with just how this relationship starts. And that's on page 8, Genesis chapter 12. This is called the call of Abram. This is where it all begins. Genesis 12. We'll just read the first three verses there. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's quite a call, right? So it's not surprising that Abram says, okay, this is amazing. And he packs up Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their stuff, and they journey on from the Ur of the Chaldeans all the way up to the land that God shows him. And they settle in there, and God says, yep, this is part of it. This is what it's going to be. And then there's a big famine, and they go down to Egypt, and there's a bit of a snafu where he passes Sarai off as his sister to Pharaoh. It's a little awkward, bad time. And then they come back to the land once again, and he and Lot try to settle out, and they've got lots of people and herds and cattle and whatnot, so they kind of divide things out. And once again, God comes to Abram, and he says, your kids are going to be like the dust. There are going to be so many of them. And he's like, great, that's awesome. And then Lot gets into a little bit of difficulty, and Abram's got to like mount up his soldiers and be a mighty king and like go rescue his nephew. And then, uh, then there's this cool thing that happens with a priest who blesses him, and all of this takes years. And he still doesn't have a kid. And he still doesn't have any land. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 15. After these things, all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. God brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God said to him, 
bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought God all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not there, theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Talking there about the time in Egypt and the Exodus. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they, meaning the descendants, shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Meaning the people who are currently in the land are so sinful, we're going to wait for them to get even more sinful, and then we're going to drive them out. Now, what happens next is kind of crazy. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, that is, the pieces of the animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. So in this first conversation, where we have the words of Abram recorded back to God, the first thing he's recorded as saying to God is, um, I don't know what you're doing here. I mean, you made these great, great promises. I moved my whole family up here. We're all just, it's been years I just keep waiting. What are you going to give me? Like, I'm childless. If I die now, all my stuff goes to a slave in my house. God takes him out, shows him the stars. He's like, okay. But he says, you're going to get this land. And Abraham says, well, how do I know I'm going to get the land? Have you seen all the people that are in this land? The Girgashites alone. I mean, come on. There are people all over this place. How am I going to know? And God responds with something really interesting. He says, um, get five animals. Now, if God came to you and, and you poured out your heart to him and he said to you, I know, go get five animals. He'd be like, I don't, uh, I don't even know where to get a heifer. I don't, I'm not even sure. Uh, I'm not even sure exactly how heifer falls in the whole cattle line of speech. And so Abram immediately knows what this is about. He knows that these five animals are all clean animals. We learned last week about clean and unclean animals, right, with Noah and the ark. And the clean animals were the ones that were used for sacrifice. But Abram knows that these five animals are not going to be used for sacrifice because what God wants Abram to do is to make a covenant with him. 
And what the people of the ancient Near East would do when they were going to make a solemn commitment, one person to the other, is that they would take these animals, they would cut them in two, they would lay them across from each other, so it would be all like bloody and gross between them. And then the first person would say, as they walked through the grossness, they would say, you can do this, what was done to the animals, you can do that to me if I break this covenant. They would walk through the blood. And the next person would come in and say, well, you can do this to me if I break the covenant. So Abram knew exactly what God was asking when he told him to go and get these five animals. And so he does what he's supposed to do. He lays them all out. He keeps the gross birds away. And then he falls into this deep sleep. The word there is the same word that's used when uh, God puts Adam in a sleep and creates Eve. It's this deep sleep in which God is active. And what happens in the sleep is that this great and terrifying darkness comes over Abram. Well, yeah, because he is not making a covenant with the farmer who lives next door. He is making a covenant with the Most High God. The likelihood of God breaking the covenant, very low. The likelihood of Abram breaking the covenant, quite high. And so he knows if he takes one step, if he even looks toward those animals, he's done. There's no way he can do this. And so he falls into this deep and terrifying darkness. And then God gives him this really interesting word and says, hey, uh, just so you know, in 400 years, uh, your descendants are going to go into a foreign land. They're going to be oppressed. But it's all going to be good because they're going to leave with a lot of possessions. And then they're going to come back here and take over this land. But that's like 400 years away. Now, just to give you perspective, that would be as if God went to Martin Luther and said to him, in 500 years, people in a place that you've never heard of called Grand Rapids, Michigan, they're going to celebrate what you're doing right here with these nail things. And that song, that little ditty that you haven't even wrote yet called The Mighty Fortress, they're going to be singing that song. So uh, good luck with the whole Pope thing. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how long, uh, that's the distance of time that he says, Abram, hey, you know what's going to happen in 400 years? And Abram's like, uh, okay. <laughs> but he says at the beginning, know this for certain. Know this for certain. And if there's anything that we would like God to say to us, it would probably be something like, Amanda, know this for certain. When you graduate from Calvin College, you will be greatly employed. <laughs> you will have a wonderful home. All your dreams will come true. Know this for certain. And your descendants many years from now will be lovely as you are. <laughs> right? We would love God to come to us and say, know this for certain. You will get into grad school. It will be fine. Know this for certain. Someday you will be married. Know this for certain. Someday you will have children. Know this for certain. Right? We could all come up with a list of things that we would really like to be able to, God to say, know this for certain. Know this for certain. Because we don't. We're a lot like Abram right? Some of you left your country and your kindred and your father's home and you moved your entire life 
to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And maybe you just started here. Maybe you've only been here for a few weeks, and you're saying to God, I don't know why I'm here exactly. Maybe the academics have been way harder than you thought they would be. Maybe you haven't yet made friends. Maybe you're a sophomore and you're looking at registration coming up in another month and you're thinking, I still don't know what I want to major in. God, could I have a little direction here? Could you, could you make it clear? Could you open up some doors? I could use a few more details here, please. We know, God, that you're described in Scripture as being our refuge, our shield, our strength, our shepherd. We know, but sometimes we just don't know what you're doing or why you're taking so long. Why do I pray and pray for this person to get better and she doesn't? Why do I pray and pray for this person to finally own up and apologize and it doesn't happen? Why do I wait and wait and wait for some combination of medications to relieve my anxiety and depression and it doesn't work? What are you doing? What are you up to? I don't get it. Abram lays out the bodies of the animals. God says this weird thing to him about know this for certain about his ancestors, his descendants. And then this crazy thing happens. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch go between the two animals. Now, a fire pot was like an earthenware vessel, and they would often put dough around the side and have charcoal in the middle. It was like a little oven, and it was always smoking. All right, it was a constant source of smoke. And the flaming torch was, you know, like a torch. And throughout the Old Testament, smoke and fire are signs of the divine presence. They're signs that God is among us. So some of you know that when the Ten Commandments come down on Mount Sinai, there's lots of smoke, there's lots of fire, right? When, some of you know that when the Israelites wander through the desert, they follow a pillar of cloud or smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, Right? So these are symbols of the divine here. And the first one goes through, and God is saying, you can do this to me if I break the covenant. But instead of Abram stepping up and going through, the next symbol of God goes through and says, you can do this to me if you break the covenant. And he says, your descendants are going to get the land. I have a big picture going on here, Abram. I'm dealing with a big, big story here. And your story fits into my big story. Now, Abram, it's a good thing that he did not go through the blood path because the very next chapter... He and Sarah kind of mess it up with the whole Hagar situation. If you're doing the Bible study, you know that, right? It's like, why do we have to study Hagar? Because it's an example of how people go crazy when they're trying to figure out what God is up to. And it's about how Hagar is the one who names God for the first time. Al Roy, the God who sees. 
right? Because Abram and Sarai kind of go off. They mess it up. Like the next chapter, they mess up the covenant. And so God keeps like slowly giving them more details, slowly unraveling the story. But there are a lot of things that they never figure out. There are a lot of things that they blow all of the time. Read the rest of the story. There's this deep brokenness in the people of God. And we want more details. We want to know more data. God, what are you up to? How is this all going to work out? How is my life going to come together? And it's not only Abram, it's not only us. The disciples, when they were with Jesus, they said this kind of thing to him all the time. Like, how is this all going to work out? When exactly is the kingdom going to come? Like, how are we going to know that it's the kingdom coming? And then they have this mom who comes to Jesus, and he says, my boys, they're the best boys. You should put one at your right and one at your left when you come into your kingdom, because you're going to come into your kingdom. When's your kingdom coming? Is it coming now? Is it coming? Can we have that? Is it time for the kingdom yet? Could we have a few more details exactly on how the kingdom is going to come? Because we're super excited about it. And I even have, like, my knives and swords sharpened, I am ready for your kingdom to come. And then the whole palm procession happens, and everyone's like, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're like, yeah, kingdom's going to come, yes. And they have the Passover feast, and they're all around, and like, this is what's going to happen. This is, okay, he's going to share all the details with us now of how exactly the kingdom is going to come. And Jesus gathers them all around the table, and he says, this bread is my body given for you. I I don't think that has anything to do with the kingdom. (laughs) I I don't think it has. Not not the kingdom I was thinking. I don't know. Just bitch. (laughs) And then he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Now, these disciples knew Genesis 15 better than you and I know Genesis 15. So when Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, you know what they were thinking about? The fact that God went through that blood path twice. That God had promised that if his people broke the covenant, he would pay. And there they were, sitting, feasting, having the Passover, remembering God's faithfulness and remembering the people's rebellion. Remembering all the times the people blew it. The people didn't get the covenant. The people rebelled against the covenant. The people broke the covenant. And here is Jesus saying, this is my body given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. It's in my blood and it's for you. And the details didn't really matter as much anymore. Because the next day he went to the cross and he died. It was the worst day of their lives. They didn't understand kingdom. They didn't understand the supper really. They they knew it was bloody. And they felt like it was over. Until Sunday when he shows up and 
He's arisen, and, and then he stays with them for like 40 days, and he teaches them more and more, and suddenly it doesn't really matter that the details are kind of escaping them because they realize that their little stories are fitting into a much bigger story. And they're realizing then, as Abram did, that God is all in for them. God has made the commitment for them. The covenant between God and Abram did not depend on Abram, thanks be to God. The covenant only depended on God. And when the disciples see the resurrection and they hear the teaching of Jesus, they begin to realize that this is kingdom. It's a very different kingdom. And they decide that if Jesus has gone all in for them, they're going to go all in for Jesus. Did they know, 11 of them, that they would be martyred for the kingdom? Did the 12th one know that he would be put into exile? Did they know the details, the miracles, the healings, the preaching, the travel? Did they know? No. What did they know? God had gone all in for them. And they were going to go all in for God. It is very easy to get swamped in the details. It is very easy to think that God isn't responding, that he's not listening, that he's not paying attention. And that's why he gives us this sign. This is why he gives us this reminder that our stories fit into the big story that his body was given for you, that his blood is a new covenant poured out for you. Does he give the occasional nice detail? Does he bring us clarification from time to time? Yes. Is he inviting us to go all in and trust him even when we don't know the details? Yes. Can you go all in for a God who's gone all in for you? Can you trust this God who gave of himself for you? Can we keep stepping forward in faith even when we don't know what's going to happen next? Yes. Does the covenant depend on us? No. It all depends on God. So we bring to this table the selves that want more details and the selves that have trouble trusting and the selves that doubt from time to time and the selves that aren't sure about any of this stuff. We bring to this table the selves that want to be part of a much larger story we bring to this table the selves that say, God has gone all in for me. I will do my best to go all in for God. He gives us this symbol rooted centuries ago in a ritual, a covenant. And he says, I take it on for you. Trust me. Trust me, I give myself for you.
trust me. Will you pray with me? God, we stand amazed at your willingness to take on both sides of the covenant. We stand amazed, Jesus, at your willingness to be the one who lays down his life when we are the ones who have broken trust. We thank you that you are a God who invites us to this table and you remind us that it doesn't depend on us, it all depends on you. So feed us. Use this bread and this cup to create in us in ways beyond our understanding a deeper faith, a more contented trust, and a joyful love of a God who is all in for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he thanked God, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after he blessed God, he poured it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We pray for God's presence at the table. You have created us in your image. You have called us to follow you. We praise you, our creator. We praise you, Jesus, as the one who gathers us around this table. You are both host and guest. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for you are the one who uses these things and transforms them in amazing ways to give us exactly what we need. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the gifts of bread and wine. Amen. When we celebrate communion, we celebrate with Christians of all times and places who have shared in this sacrament. And one of the things we also do is say the words of the Apostles' Creed, a, wor a word that's been around for generations. The words will be on the screen. If this is new to you, we will say them together. Let us say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
Since this place is not a church, every time we celebrate communion, we invite elders and pastors of local churches to come and celebrate with us. So tonight, we're very glad that the folks from Shawnee Park, Christian Reformed Church, are here for us. They will be helping to serve the feast tonight. And the way we'll be doing it is through the method called intinction, where you're going to come up, you're going to rip a piece off the loaf and dip it in the cup. And, and make it a piece. Don't do like a pinch. Like... Do a piece, right? This is grace, okay? Take a bite of grace. <laughs> and you're going to dip it in the cup, um, and the, the people who are serving will say something to you each time. If you need gluten-free, just come forward. There's a station on each side. Just ask for it, and they will give that to you. And the way we're going to do it is all y'all from here and here, you're going to come down this way and go back around. The ushers will show you how to do that. And all y'all, you're going to go this way and down this way and then back around, Okay? If you are a communicant member in your home church, wherever that may be, you are welcome to take communion here. If you've never taken communion or in your space right now where you're not quite ready, you're welcome to come forward and simply make a cross over your chest, and the elders will give you a blessing. So everyone is invited to come forward. Our Jesus says to us, come, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke from me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.